What's happening, hardscapers? This is the How to Hardscape podcast where we talk to you about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today we have our very first I Am a Hardscaper roundtable interview. I don't know if that's what I'm even going to call it yet. Maybe you guys can kind of throw in your two cents on this. But we have three of our previous guests. We've got Caleb Amon of Amon Landscape. Caleb, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. It's cool to be here. Uh, we've got Jeremy Swired of J Squared Outdoor. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And finally, we got Andy Mulder of Mulder Maintenance and Services. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, man, no problem. This is great. So uh, if you haven't listened to each of their episodes, be sure to go over to the How to Hardscape podcast and listen to each of their episodes for a little bit of context. But today we're going to be doing more of a deep dive into kind of different discussions, anything that we want to get into. This is a free for all. And I feel like uh, we should start with something that the three of you have in common. Uh, Not that you guys have nothing other other than this in common. (laughs) other than the hats uh but buggy life what is this buggy life can somebody kind of fill me in on what is buggy life what does it mean and why is it such a great piece of equipment i think that's all on you jeremy isn't it it's um, it started jeremy jeremy started it well i mean we started renting these things because we were doing a concrete job and uh we realized uh, renting it, we were like, holy crap, this thing's awesome. We can do other things with it. So then we started renting it to run gravel in and renting it for all kinds of different excavation, tight access stuff. And then then we were like, we just need to own one. So we bought one. And then uh, just use it for all kinds of stuff. Hauling your tools from the trailer, um, all kinds of dig out, drainage jobs. It's the bomb. So we love it. And then Andy got one. He made t-shirts. And then... Uh, Caleb got this, and then uh, then the buggy life was formed. Amazing. So th- this buggy life, you know, I, I want to get into talking about tools and efficiency, and because uh, obviously it seems like quite the machine to be able to uh, improve efficiency on the job site. But I want to get into talking about efficiency and tools with the three of you and how you kind of choose uh, where you're going to improve your business in terms of efficiency, where do you identify those certain things and what, where do you find these tools to help you identify these sort of things? Uh, Caleb, I know I've, I've seen you talk a bit about this online quite a bit. Uh, can you start us off with this, uh, talking about where to identify areas you can improve efficiency, how you identify those? Um, yeah, I suppose the way we look at it is, is, and, me trying to get my guys to adapt it too is a whole nother challenge, but anywhere there's friction, you know, in your business where something is like, like again, the buggy thing for exist, for example, is like trying to wheelbarrow stuff everywhere and how difficult and challenging that is. And just like, anytime you say there's gotta be a better way, like there's gotta be a better way. Right. So, um, always, you know, trolling around on Instagram and like, looking to the guys like uh, Jeremy and Andy here for what they're doing. Cause they're always seemingly ahead of the curve when it comes to, uh, you know, efficiency and tool efficiency tools and stuff like that. But I'm always watching, I'm trying to watch like cross industry. So I'm, I'm seeing what the pipeliners are doing and I'm seeing what plumbers are doing or concrete guys. Um, you know, I don't care if it's leather makers or whatever, like I'm always just kind of looking and watching to see what people are applying in their businesses that are really niche tools that might have like crossover into what we do. So I'm always trying to 
be reading through all sorts of different trade journals and stuff like that to kind of keep an eye as to what, uh, you know, what's out there. Now, when it comes to scaling our businesses, it's not like we can just go ahead uh, without getting into uh, an unreasonable reasonable amount of debt that we just go out there and buy whatever we can to improve our businesses. So how do you guys choose what's the next tool to buy or what's the next area of your business that you're going to improve with these tools? Uh, I mean, I would say a lot of times, like with the buggy thing, like once I saw Jeremy have that, it was only a matter of time before I saved up enough money to buy one. It was not like, man, I might get that. It was just how long is it going to take me to get it? I, I run my business without debt, but not everybody does that. So for me, it, it's, I, I'll buy it once I have the money, but I'm always saving for equipment. Always. I have a separate account that money goes in there every month save for equipment i i am never going to stop buying equipment it will always there'll always be something to buy and so i often am stack you know stashing money away so that when that next thing comes i either can jump on it or i gotta wait a little longer or whatever and you know i'm off you know the more i follow the jam I, I tell jeremy often you know he spends my money very very quickly uh so you know i don't know I, it's I'm, I'm never going to stop buying equipment. So you always need to be budgeting for it because it's always going to get better and better. I mean, the stuff we have now is great right now, but you know, and like Jeremy said, you, we have this, we had the same premiere, but then he, he got the 1550 and now it's like, well, that looks a lot better. Now I want that. So when you're budgeting for this, Andy, how much do you take like a certain percent? Like how much do you know to set aside in that separate account for this? Uh, I don't really have a percentage. It's more like at, at the end of every month we do projections and based off of available cash and what taxes have to, are going to have to be reserved for that month. And then, you know, in my opinion, the, the first thing you need to be saving for is a retained earnings account. And then once you reach a level that you're happy with that, then it's up to you. I mean, it depends how bad you need something too. I mean, I needed a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff three years ago than I do now. And so I spent way, I saved way more money on equipment then than I do now. Save more money for equipment is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And you talked about uh, operating your business without debt. I, I subscribe to that same model. I, I know that uh, it, it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, moving over to you, Jeremy, what do you do with your business? Are you uh, more comfortable with taking on the debt to help grow your business? Um, no, I'm, I'm kind of the same line with Andy and actually Andy's taught me a lot about that stuff. Um, along with like having the different business accounts and taking money out and having retained earnings and the equipment account stuff. So I've, I've kind of been doing that same thing. Um, uh, so cash flow, equipment as best I can. I have a couple uh, machines that I lease, but that's about it. Everything else is paid for. Um, so yeah, I think you're better off just uh, paying cash for things as you can, you know, and save up when when you see something you want, save the money and get it. And if you can't save the money, you're not charging up and going into debt's not going to help that situation. Yeah. And talking about, uh, you know, purchases, uh, I know, Caleb, you've purchased something recently that Jeremy seems to have billions of as I as I hear uh, online. Uh, Caleb, can you talk about what that was that you recently bought and what that means to your business and why you why you went ahead and purchased that? 
Um, sure. If you're, if you're talking about the, our big, our big truck, uh, our 40 international 4,300, it's a 2003 and, uh, it's about a mile and a half long. It's, it's insanely long, but, um, we're right excited. We're ex- cool bus I heard. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's, it's crazy driving it. Cause you got to swing so wide without a trailer. You got to swing so <laughs> wide going around corners and stuff, but, um, we're excited for it for a couple of reasons. It fits a couple of the, the key parameters that I'm always looking for in a truck, which is backpack toolboxes. Uh, there's tons of underbelly room for boxes, which is super cool. It's got a side lift gate that I learned from, uh, from Jeremy that that's a necessity on the big trucks. Um, that thing's really cool. But the real cool thing is like, because it's such a big, uh, has a big, such a big deck, you know, we're going to, we're going to be able to stack, Mainly demobilization off projects is where I see it being really handy because we're going to be able to pull all pallets of material off, just like Jeremy does all the time. But you can put so much crap on that truck and demobilize with that one truck, what would normally take us two or three trucks to pull with, you know, equipment hauler trailers off site. So that's going to be real cool. And the same goes for mobilization. Um, it dumps. It's a dump body so we can get rid of debris. I don't want to get into the trucking game. I don't ever intend on hauling 20 tons of base to a job site. That doesn't, that doesn't pay. That doesn't make sense. But for getting rid of material offsite, uh, debris or wastage, stuff like that, it's, it's going to be really handy. Uh, one of my guys has CDLs currently. So when we hook up to a trailer, it's rated for 26,000. So in Ohio, and as far as I understand under federal, uh, um, uh, DOT laws and stuff like that, we're under CDL uh, requirements. So that's cool. But if we hook a trailer up, or immediately CDLs because of our, our gross capacity. So uh, all our guys are going to be getting CDLs here soon, and uh, but we're excited about that purchase to to just add more to our our mobility, really. So and two for doing jobs out of town. We're getting to where we're doing a lot of jobs out of town, and so putting job boxes on there and still be able to haul a machine or two to a job site and not have to make multiple trips is going to be cool. So speaking about that how far are you guys willing to travel for a job and uh andy starting with you uh yeah how far are you willing to travel for a job and uh kind of what what are you aiming for in terms of your workable area uh i would say on average we travel about 30 minutes um i've gone 45 minutes i've gone three hours for a job which i'll never do that again but um I would say on average, almost everything that we're doing is in with, within 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. Um, and that's really not that, I mean, in our area, that is a massive radius. I mean, there, there's so much work in that amount of distance from where I, I, I'm located at and, you know, 150 other landscapers in our area. Uh, it's very populated and, um, there's just more work than everybody can do. And even, I mean, literally in, in my area, there's just hundreds of guys. There's gotta be, it's just insane. And then Jeremy, what about you? Uh, how, how far are you willing to go? Um, I used to be willing to go an hour, hour and a half, but we're, we're really trying to ratchet it down. So we're all of our jobs right now are within 10, 20 minutes, uh, 30 minutes would be like the max. Uh, and, and we're, our shop is like right in the middle of where our main work area is and where we try to target. So we've, we've done a pretty good job ratcheting it back and the closer you can stay, the better. So that's what, that's what I'm going for as far as for what we do stuff that 
doing is a little bit different, but you know, for, for the more complex patio projects and stuff, if you start getting spread out, it gets real hectic quickly. And then Caleb, I know you've talked about this before with uh, route density and trying to, uh, you know, own a certain area. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the importance of that and what that means to you and your business? I, I feel like, you know, as guys get bigger, they, they might be wanting to travel further out, but maybe they're not thinking about their numbers in terms of, uh, you know, budgeting this. What, what does it mean to be able to stick to a smaller area? Uh, yeah, the route, route density thing is huge. And like these guys are talking, um, your travel time paying guys for windshield time is killer on projects and for our hardscape work, we hardly leave the same deal, hardly leave our County travel 30 minutes, maybe 45. We started working as a subcontractor for a company that is procuring some hardscape work. That's maybe an hour away at the most, but we do none of the legwork. They, they're providing fantastic plans that are, that are perfect. And uh, we do no interaction with the client. We go, we build a project, we leave. And that right there, like to what Jeremy's saying, like a project can get out of hand quick. That's, a, that's, that's you know, got a lot of distance between of just customer service issues and meeting with a client and just having all that, all that crap. So the sub model for us on that end is working fine. As long as you're getting the numbers you need for your business, right? Um, but, you know, in general, what these guys are saying, you really want to try to not have to travel too much for hardscape work and, we do some commercial work, some commercial stormwater stuff, but we're going all over the state for that stuff. But that's all priced into the projects. And we're trying to not do jobs like that that are more than four or five days long and even shorter if we can. So, um, but route density, especially if you're in lawn care, my gosh, that's a big deal. That'll make or break you. But uh, trying to work as local as you possibly can to what is a good demographic um, is, is absolutely critical. So continuing on this kind of uh, I want to get into numbers and budgeting here and starting with, you know, what, what is the most profitable job for your business and why would you say that? So it could be just like a, a number in terms of the, uh, the size of the project could be the type of work. Uh, you know, what is that job that is the most profitable for your business? And why would you say that? Why do you think that is? Uh, whoever wants to start with that? I, I mean, for me, on average, I, I mean, drainage work, we do really well with drainage work. Um, and honestly, like hardscape work, like I get really good margins on hardscape work. And I think that comes down to our efficiency and bidding it the right way. I mean, I don't give jobs away. I'm, we're very, I am not out there to like get every job. I don't want every job. I want the cream of the crop and I want the best job and let the 10 other guys fight over the four other ones that I didn't bid on. So like when I'm, when I'm going to do a hardscape job, it's going to be the client's going to want me to do it. And th there's often last year, I probably bid on, 15 jobs all year like every every lead was such a good lead that they wanted me to do the job no matter what and that doesn't mean you can just charge whatever you want but what it means is it's important like for me I want to put myself in the market where when they're going to call me they're going to know number one that I'm not the cheapest guy ever I'm far from the cheapest but that they're, they're calling me and they want me to do the job no matter what. Like a lot of times people that are 
coming to us for projects, they're not getting other prices because they've already made up their mind. They've vetted us on the internet. They see all our stories. They do all, all the homework. And usually it's a lot of referral. I don't advertise for anything. It's always referral work. And so I'm saying all that to say I charge a premium for our hardscape work, but they're getting what they're paying for, especially in our, there's a million guys in our area that can, that are doing this stuff. And so that's where I want to be in the market. I want to be at the top end and I'm going to put in the best job. And so that's how we're getting really good margins on our work, but we're also doing it really efficiently. Gotcha. What about yourself, Jeremy? What's the most profitable uh, type of project for your business and why do you think that is? Um, for us, the kind of the same deal, like what, what Andy's saying, those, the hardscape projects that are um, kind of the same kind of stuff he does, that backyard where you design, build the whole project, um, you're doing the patio, you're doing the landscaping, the lighting, redoing the irrigation, all that kind of stuff, the drainage, that whole kit and caboodle, there's a value to that to the client that, you know, they're just dealing with one person. Um, you've thought the whole thing out. They're just going to sign the dotted line, write the check and it's done. And those are the projects that we do really well on like that 30 to 50 K range in and out of there in a couple of weeks, redo the backyard. Those are, those are really good projects for us. Mm. So those are, those are the kind of bread and butter jobs. And yourself, Caleb? Uh, we've, our traditional bread and butters have been uh, hardscape projects with in the ten dollars to $20,000 range where we're, in, same like Jeremy's saying, kind of in and out in a week or two at the most. And uh, that's been like a really good wheelhouse for us. We've gotten bit or bitten ourselves, however you want to look at it, on larger projects in the past, but we've not been nearly outfitted and equipped like we are now. And we're looking at things a lot different than we used to as far as productivity and, you know, on-site efficiency and stuff like that. So we've got a couple pretty good size ones for us, um, a couple thirties and some fifties coming up. So, uh, we're looking forward to those being hopefully like, uh, these guys are saying like back where we need them to be. Cause we, like I said, I've got kind of scared on a couple ones in the past and, uh, and same like uh, Andy was saying, like, we're, we're not giving our work away anymore. I used to, and we don't anymore. And, uh, so that's been, um, uh, that's kind of our, our main thing there. And our stormwater divisions is really doing okay right now. So, uh, but the hardscape thing, it's, it's like anything you can make it, you can make it what you want it to be. And, uh, you got to have the skill set to back it up, which these, these two guys definitely do have, to, you know, do have to back, uh, back up their pricing. Um, these, these guys right here are two dudes that like, you know, there's guys you see on the internet, you wouldn't really stick your neck out too far just cause you don't know them. I'm sure a lot of guys are really good. But, like, these two dudes, like, watching them and knowing their work, like, if I knew somebody in Dayton and needs hardscape work or up in Indiana where Andy's at, you know, I would not think twice about saying call either of these dudes because, like, you just – you know you know they're super expensive, but you just know they don't cut any corners. And so, like, Andy's saying not having any trouble selling that stuff. Like, these guys' works you – know, their work speaks for itself, right? And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things that that helps drive their – their reputation drives their profitability also. So, Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the reputation, like I couldn't charge what I'm charging five years ago, but we've yeah. built a job on job on job and your portfolio and what you've done and the people you've worked for and the referrals that come from those people that legitimizes your work and the price that someone is willing to pay. 
not about gouging someone. We're providing high quality work with really good customer service. And most of the time I'm on the job the whole time. And you just, you're not going to get that from everyone, especially in our area. And so those are selling things that I use to sell jobs, but these people know this before they're even calling. I mean, it's just, that's, it's just how it's worked for me. I, I, I really like going, I, I don't, it's one job at a time. We stay there until we're done. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's huge like that. I have a question. Can I ask Andy a question? Absolutely. Go for it. So man, so five, so say talk to kit contractor, uh, kid from five years ago, you know, how, how would you tell guys that are in that, you know, stage of, you know, where you were at five years ago, let's say that can't command a premium price. How do you, how, how would you tell them to afford machinery? And like, how do you get to that point where you're at now, but not finance equipment and not get murdered on rentals and stuff? Like, how do you, how do you keep, get that ball rolling to get where you're at? Let's say. You got to do really, really good work. I mean, I, 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 I can't, I started with a case 1845C and I think the biggest job I did with that was like $50,000, which was massive at the time. I mean, I remember losing my mind over that, but it was, it took us way longer, but the finished product is, I, it's all comes down to doing really, really, really good work and being really good with the customer and it's only a matter of time before that keeps building on itself. And I mean, I've rented stuff. I used to rent many excavators, so on and so forth, but you have to, you have to grow slow. I mean, it took me, I mean, some people don't think this is growing slow, but for me, I feel like it's growing slow, but it, once you get to a certain point, it kind of snowballs because you know, you get a track machine, but it, it's important. The equipment is huge because you can do so much more, but if you don't, if you finance it, that's fine. But you have to charge for that stuff on a job. And I didn't know that three years ago. I had a, I have a mentor friend of mine that's changed my business by telling me, teaching me how to charge the right way. You know, like you need to be charging daily rates for equipment. And if you're not accounting for that stuff, you're never going to make it because you can't own this equipment and not charge daily rates for it. You know, I mean, it's, there's so much stuff about that, that, and once I got to that point and you, I, I got the track machine, it, it literally snowballs because you have, you own the equipment, you're getting paid for it daily or monthly or however you're doing on, on, on a job. You know, if it's a month long job, you should be building that sucker out weekly, a weekly rate for that machine to be on the job. And, and that money comes in and you, it, it literally snowballs and then you can buy the next piece of equipment. And it's not all about the equipment, but you, you, you have to, you have to do really good work and you have to build your equipment. I mean, Jeremy's told me that I, when we first started talking, you, 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 I remember you telling me something like you knew when you started, you had equipment up as fast as you could. And I don't know why I remember that, but I always remember that. And you have to, get things to make your job faster because that's how you make money. You, you don't make money having 50 guys out on the job site, wheel rail and rock around you, who, who you're just giving your money to other people. The idea is to get the equipment to do it faster so you can recoup that cost. That's why like you buy a buggy, you buy a buggy so you can move the stone faster 
so that you make more money on that stone. You don't reduce your price. You keep the price the same, but you got to you you got to charge enough money for that piece of equipment to cover to pay you the money that you're losing on labor. I don't. That's, I'm not saying that the right way, but you know, I, I had a guy, a, a client of mine, complain to me about a price I gave him uh, this spring. Actually, I we mulched his house. We were there for two days with two guys, and I sent him a bill, and he could not believe how much I charged. And he told me it only took me only took us two days with two guys. I said, well, I had a $70,000 excavator there and a $15,000 buggy that was bringing the mulch all over, scooping it out of the truck, right on the mulch, right to the bed. And so we could do the job way faster. He said, well, you didn't have that many guys there. I said, okay, but I had all this equipment there. So would you rather me be there with five guys for five days doing the job or do it in two days with two guys? I'm the one that took the risk on buying all, all this equipment. So it uh, it's not for free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what? sorry, go I ahead, Caleb. I don't know if I really answered your question, Caleb. But. <laughs> no, that was cool. That was good. I May I ask one more question? Go for it. Keep going. It's my interview, right? <laughs> typical, typical almond, right? Um, but I did want to ask Jeremy and, and Andy too, like when do you guys um, – make that decision rent versus buy. Like what is the, the catalyst that jumps you from like, Oh, we're spending too much money on rental. We need to buy this stupid thing. Shoot. If I rent it once a month, I should be buying that sucker. Yeah. I, I hate, I hate renting stuff. So it doesn't, it doesn't take me long to get irritated to, to buy something, but it just depends on what it is. If it's like, a, if it's a game changer unit, then you just need to buy it. You just need to, nut up and get it like there's no no waiting around and assuming you have the, the money to do it you can't um you know you obviously have to have some cash but yeah if there's something that you you're like i could make these jobs go so much faster if i just buy this then just do it just get done with it and the, the quicker you can get it and the quicker you can start using it the faster you're gonna start making money so yeah you know i have like a list of things that i want to buy so I just kind of go down that list and prioritize those items. And as you know, I think that's going to be a game changer. I'm going to go ahead and just get it, not wait around. But you also don't want to overextend yourself. So how, what, it, when do you reach that point where you think, uh, you know what, you maybe you should tap the brakes on your purchases and uh, make sure that you're going to be okay, say during a market downturn that could come at any point, really. Well, if, if you're paying cash for stuff, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And like Andy was saying, you got to have a retained earnings account and you have to have minimums in your operating account and these things and your taxes are taken care of in another account. So, I mean, as long as you're not going dip into that money, then I don't see any issue with it, but you got to be smart. You know, you got to, you got to save your money, but at the same time, you can't be <clears throat> just being too stingy because that's going to just slow you down. If you need something, just get it. Absolutely. And then when it comes to what Jeremy's saying with putting your money into these different accounts for taxes, uh, Andy, you talked about equipment. Do you guys all run your businesses like this? How many, how many different buckets do you have for your business to be able to cover things like equipment, things like uh, labor, um, taxes, your own profit? How, how does that all work? So I have um, five accounts. Uh, one is our operating account. Um, one is, uh, retained earnings. 
uh, I'm sorry, I have four accounts. Uh, operating, uh, retained earnings, winter, and I know it is five, sorry, taxes and equipment. So um, in our operating account, as a rule of thumb, we keep two, two, two payroll, on average, two of our payroll amounts in there, plus a cushion, you know, 10, 20, whatever. We keep a cushion in there, um, basically for like day-to-day expenses. That's what like, I have a debit card that runs out of that account. Um, every month then after, after every month we do a, um, a projection for taxes and then we pull out tax money and that goes in that account. Um, retained earnings and equipment is money that gets put in after our operating account is where it needs to be. That always has to maintain that because I'm never going to miss a payroll and you always, you got to have, you got to have an operating account, but you, you, you can't. And like separately on a cash projection, we have like our deposits for jobs. Those are always listed out separately. Um, I get a cash projection every week that shows that stuff. Um, so you never want to, you never want to be living off of your deposits on the job. I think a lot of people get in big trouble with that. Um, so that's why these accounts are super helpful. You could have a, a separate account for your, I think for your job um, deposits on jobs, you, I think that would be helpful for guys starting out big time. I really do. Because Mike McCallowitz. Sorry, Andy, I apologize. I thought you were wrapping up. Mike McCallowitz has a great book about different bank accounts for, uh, for businesses. And I cannot think of what it's called for the library. Profit first? Yes. Profit first, yeah. Um, and that's, that's the same thing where you have five or six banks, bank accounts or four or five, six, whatever. I think we have five, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, similar to how Andy does it. And, uh, that's a good, that's a good read. Sean, Sean Van Dyke wrote a book called profit first for contractors. And it's completely geared towards the contractor. That book is phenomenal. Um, I was doing that before I read that book. And then when I read it, there's a lot more about that book that I think. And everybody starting a business should read that book in the contract. Any, any contractor, his is a lot do, um, geared towards like builders and, and framers and, you know, that kind of a thing, but it can, it goes across the board. Um, so yeah, I, I, we have a winter account because I do snow removal, but I don't ever depend on snow for my day to day living. So my wife, feels a lot more comfortable if I save what we need to have to survive all winter in that account. And so since I've started, I've always saved exactly what I need to pay myself all winter in that account before I put any money in retained earnings or anything like that, because you just never know with snow. And that was always my big deal when I started was, you know, what am I going to do on the winter? So when, when we have snow, it's basically a bonus and that's how I've been able to you know, buy equipment or so on and so forth. But that a winter account is what I save in to pay myself through the winter. Yeah, that's smart, especially with the, the snow. Uh, Jeremy, do you do snow in the winter as well? No, oh, just like a really small amount. We have a subcontract, a track machine on a lot, and that's it. And then do you run, so I assume you run your business very similar to Andy as well then in terms of making sure you're paid? Yeah, uh, Andy, Andy showed me how to do all that stuff. So I've got all my accounts set up exactly the same way he does and then caleb you don't do winter you don't do snow right 
No, no snow work at all. That's where the stormwater stuff's been good because we're able to do a lot of that through the winter. So that's been really good for us. Uh, but yeah, no snow. I used to dap. Snow is one of those things you kind of got to all be all in on or like not at all. And I dabbled and had my toe in the water and just ran myself ragged trying to deal with all that. And no, no, I'm good. No snow. <laughs> no, come on. I want to get out of it. I, I, I could get out of it anytime. It's just one of those things. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I do it. Yeah. And uh, Andy, you, you brought up, uh, you know, your, your wife into the conversation and how she feels more comfortable uh, making sure that there's that, that cushion there. And it's a topic that I wanted to get into with the three of you because you all have uh, wives, you all have kids. Uh, Jeremy, congratulations fairly recently on your new one. Thank but, you. Uh, you know, that, that brings up a whole different thing in terms of being an entrepreneur, being a contractor, having this family, um, especially being a business owner, having this family uh, and trying to balance all of this. So just generally, just throwing it out to there that whoever, you know, wants to start this conversation, how do you balance having kids, uh, having a family, you know, who does what? Uh, I, I don't know exactly everybody's situation. Caleb, I know uh, Brittany is uh, a part of the business, so that throws a whole different uh, dynamic into the relationship. But in general, how are you guys able to balance all of this with the business? And I ask for myself because I'm married and, you know, I can't imagine being able to run this business and also have a kid. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's the right answer. It is. It's it's tough, but the good thing is to like <clears throat> I fortunately like have started a company so long ago. We I don't want to say we've reached like a plateau or a, a crescendo, but we've reached a point where the company's stable and is comfortable and uh I'm not having to work, you know, 60, 80, 90 hours a week to keep the company going. So um, that's like a big thing. It helps a lot. So new guys starting out, you know, like my hat's off to you cause you got to put in that grind to get the company off the ground. And that's really challenging. And I, I can't imagine how hard that is with a family and kids. And, and, uh, in, in my case, you know, Britt owns the company. So I work for her technically, but, uh, we've got, we've got a decent, you know, there's times where we got to burn a midnight oil or, you know, put off this or that, you know, with the family to, to get some work stuff done. But, for the most part, we've really tried to hit stride. We have three kids, all of them under six. And so we're really trying to, we're, they're never going to be this young again. And I'm never going to have these opportunities again. So we're really trying to capitalize on that. And, and uh, meanwhile, grow the company and, and, you know, but not at the expense of my, of the kids. I, I know guys that have built big, amazing companies and they're, you know, 50 and 60 years old now retiring and their kids hate them and don't, don't know their dad because their dad was just building a company the whole time that they were children, you know? So that's always like echoed in my ears from a, a certain situation. I, I remember talking to a guy about, and like, I'm really trying to make sure we're pumping the brakes and like, while the kids are young, trying to enjoy them, you know? So, but it is, it's tough, man. Even, even with a more mature business, it's, t it's still tough. So hats off to the young guys out there starting out for the family. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I don't know. I, when, when I started the company, I, I started working on the side while I was working another job. I'll never forget. That was the hardest year of my life. I'll never forget it. We were, I was working 40, 50 hours a week for a landscaper and I was doing side work. 
and then we had the year the year before I quit and went full time we had our first kid and I was I mean you have to like Caleb said when you start out you have to man up and know that it's time to work and if your spouse isn't on board don't ever try to do it like my wife we wanted to do this together she was 100% game on and that meant that I'm when I'm gone, I got to be gone or I'm work. I literally work six days a week. I don't even, I can't even, it was insane. The first two years, the year right before I quit and went full time and the year directly, my first year, full time year in business was crazy. Um, we definitely had some fights, but you have to, you have to make sure your spouse is so much on board more than you because it will affect them more than it affects you. You know, we're, we're just out there living the dream and working, you know, we love you. You can't do what we, you can't do run your own business and not love what you're going to do, but your spouse and family don't love it as much as you do. And you need to remember that because, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they've been waiting for you to be there, you know? And so, um, now it's getting easier. I feel like I'm working less nights. I still, you know, I do, I, I'm going all over the board here, but a big game changer for me was last year. I changed my meetings to only Tuesdays and Thursday evenings. That's the only time I'll meet with anybody. And that was huge for my wife because in the years past, it was any night of the week I could have be at a meeting or whatever. Or she had no schedule. And so, you know, I was always, under delivering on what I should be doing because there was no set schedule. So setting a schedule that you and your spouse agree upon is huge. It's been huge for us. And that's been really nice to have that the last this year I was way more strict about it and it's just a game changer. So, mm. you know, there's a balance, but you also, your wife has, your spouse has to be on board and talking about the expectations is huge because you can get way overboard really fast and everyone at home is left in the dust and it's not worth it. It's just not. Yeah. Jeremy, how do you bring your wife in and your family in on, on these business discussions and uh, business purchases, you know, operating your business with your family, especially with a, a new one that you guys also have to take care of. Um, I do talk to my wife about most of the things that were doing um and most of the time she says no that's stupid you shouldn't be spending that money <laughs> so, but no really she, i have to sell her so I, ha I have to present a very good proposal in order for her to get on board with it uh we we, we talk about it and and she's talked to me out of a lot of things that i'm grateful that <laughs> she's smart uh she's got a pretty good business mind but um i'm pretty new at having a kid so I have no experience except for the last two months of uh, that that game but it's been it's not been too bad she's actually sleeping through the night now which has been awesome my wife's been wow job taking care of her and taking that off my plate really but tactically I'd say what's helped me is out like a few days a week or two days a week I'll just get up at like 4 30 and go to the office and get a bunch of stuff knocked out before people get in there that helps. And then like Saturday mornings, if I can get up early and knock some things out, like that helps me get a lot of work done undisturbed. 
the biggest thing is being undisturbed when you're trying to focus on a design or um, just bulk out some office work. And Caleb, your your relationship is uh, a little bit more different because obviously your wife is part of the business, uh, quite literally being the owner. Uh, how does that dynamic play in? Like, how do you separate that business from family? Like, do you guys have a set time that this is the time, this is all, we're all in on family, we're not talking anymore about the business, or how does that work? We try to limit it, but it's it's more or less impossible if you've got two people that are passionate about the company, and uh, we'll still, we'll be... I mean, you name it, going to church or like eating dinner. It's like, Hey, did you invoice so-and-so or don't forget that pipe bill is due or, you know, whatever. And it's, or it's, you know, asking her asking me something. So it's, um, or I'll be in a shower and have a good idea and I'll yell it out of the bathroom to her, you know? And so it's just like, that's just kind of our thing. That's our, you know, that's our jam. So, but we, we try to, to minimize it, you know, into the evening, but, we love it so much. It doesn't bother us at the same time because it is our bond. It's a huge bonding point for us. So uh, neither of us are annoyed by talking business. But the the bad thing is though, like if they had a bad day, chances are you had a bad day too. And so now there's two people at the home at home that both had a bad day. Unfortunately, at the same place, probably because of the other person. <laughs> and. And what I tell everybody, it's like we're working with your spouse. It's on days when it's great, it's okay. And on dad, on days when it's bad, it's freaking terrible. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just how it is. But I wouldn't have it any other, any other way. Gotcha. So turning the page here, uh, I want to talk about employees and uh, hiring, recruitment, onboarding, all this stuff. Starting with, in your business, what's the next employee you're going to hire? Or what's the next employee that you want to hire? And, and why is that? Whoever wants to take that. Bigger excavator. So Andy, are you, are you more uh, like, let's go equipment instead of employee? Or why is that? Uh, like this year, we went down one less guy than I had last year. And we're doing the same amount of work. And, and like the year before that was the same way. And we added the tilt rotator and the buggy last year. And we did a third more in business than we did the year before with less people. So that's how I want to run my company. I want the least amount of people to do the most amount of money. That's what I want to do. But I will say I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without my two, my three main guys, the guy that runs my mowing. I don't, I, we have one mowing route and without him, I wouldn't mow. If he quit, I, probably just be done mowing he does a great job and he he started with me since the first day i started the business but then my two hardscape my main two hardscape guys i couldn't do what i do without them i mean not near as fast they're incredible people so you know that's super important but i don't want to i want like one more really good guy and then that's it four guys is good <laughs> So is that basically like a one crew show and then basically build equipment around them to make them as efficient as possible? Is that kind of your business model there? Yeah. So I have two guys that mow grass full time, uh, full time, four days a week. They mow 40 hours a week. Then they help us do landscaping on Wednesdays and Saturdays if we work Saturday. And then I have a two man hardscape crew and then I'm in and out whenever I need to be. Um, and that's, 
I have no desire to really get more than that. I really like the size and we do doing plenty of work. I don't, I'm happy with everything that's happening right now. But what about yourself, Jeremy? How do how does, how do you differ? How does your business uh, model differ from Andy's? Are you kind of in the same boat where you, you told him kind of equipment up and uh, get your business going that way? Um, yes, I, I definitely agree that labor efficiency is absolutely key and being extremely labor efficient. That's, that's what we're going for. But I like to have, um, a couple different crews and like three guys on each crew. I think is a really good size. If you can have three good guys working together, you can get a ton of work done. Um, you know, I think eventually I'd like to add one more crew, but that's just, it's all about the right people. I've got really, really awesome guys, um, working for me right now. And without them, we couldn't do anything that we're doing. I mean, they're just fantastic trick, uh, craftsmen, really. So I, I just want to get some more guys that are teachable that we can have working under these guys learning. Um, and that's, that's where I'm right now, just some teachable guys, but you know, definitely stay as extremely labor efficient as you can be. Give them every piece of equipment, every tool, the most organized trucks, the most organized paperwork you can give them and then just let them fly. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And Caleb yourself. Uh, same deal. We're running four guys in the field. I'd like to add a, a fifth floater guy that can kind of run in between, uh, you know, the two separate crews, if you will, kind of my stormwater civil type division and then my the hardscape landscape division. Um, so we're kind of looking for a floater guy that's like foreman quality. Um, but my two other guys are kind of more project manager status. So uh, we're looking for, for kind of a floater foreman quality dude that wouldn't necessarily be a foreman per se, but we're, I don't really want to think, I don't want to hire anybody that is under foreman skill level. Uh, I want to start a third division of our company at some point. I can't say what it is cause I just can't talk about it right now, but, um, I, they're going to manage that, that division. So I'm, I'm big on like hiring a pro a project manager and them a helper and turning them loose to run their own projects and keep me out of it as much as possible. So um, I wouldn't mind growing that way. But right now where we're at, we've got a real, real sweet, uh, real good, sweet groove going right now. So we're, we're happy with that. But yeah, floater guy, more like Andy said, more machines. You just, you just can't go wrong with more mechanized website. My foreman Bo has been with me for 20 years. He's getting old and tired and I need to keep keep him mechanized as much as possible and try to get some young guys up underneath him so he can really fulfill more of a project manager, you know, managerial status. So we'll see where that goes. So if you guys need these guys uh, and new people coming into the industry, where are you going to find them? Do you, you have some, you know, uh, some place that you can go to kind of find these new guys or, uh, is it just basically posting on job boards and, uh, and how, uh, you know, does anybody have any tips on how to find the right fit for your business? All of my good people have been referrals from good people that already work for us. Um, so we've, we've done the indeed thing. We're kind of fishing around in there now, but our, our biggest thing has been all my guys working for me have been referrals from those guys, more or less of guys they essentially vouch for and would cover, you know, would like, you know, essentially like if they bring them in, it's kind of like, well, why'd you bring this idiot in? You know, like you hang out with this guy. 
you know, kind of thing. And the, a guy we hired this spring, kind of hoping to be our floater guy, really skilled dude. I've hired some real idiots in the past, and I'm done hiring again. Foreman quality up, and uh, but we we turned him loose with the guys and said, "You're hiring him." And so you tell us if he's worth hiring or not. I'm not making the decision. It's on you guys. And it'll be via essentially via consensus if he's, you know, trainable, workable, seemingly honest and, you know, all that stuff. And then like those guys make the call if he gets on the team or not. And uh, that's how we went about it. And it stinks because they vouched. They said, yeah, he's good help, but he's just a young kid. He's 24 and just a young kid, just still out at night too much. And just he called in late too many times. I said, you got to straighten up or you got to go. And, he had to go. So it was a real shame because he had a lot of potential, but he probably won't – if he ever realizes it, he probably won't realize it for a while. So it's a real bummer. But it, the labor pool's tough. That's why you got to replace him with machines. Like Charles Vandercoy always said, uh, you know, machines don't get drunk, they don't get anybody pregnant, and they're still there Monday morning. And so that's, uh, that's a big thing with machines. And Charles Vandercoy, rest his soul, he's right. So how about – I, I guess a lot of you guys, you know, you, you guys have the your crews kind of already uh, in place. So uh, I talked to it was Jordan and Kyle of Evolve Design Build, and their their onboarding process of bringing in a new employee. They actually have uh, your courses, Caleb. The uh, how to install pavers. They purchased that. And now that's part of their onboarding system, where they tell their new guys to come in. Before you come on the job site, we're going to pay you to watch these videos, take notes, bring your notes in so that they're not just getting thrown into the job site where they're just overwhelmed and don't know what's going on. What are your guys' onboarding process like for these new employees and if you have uh, new employees coming in? Okay, so because of that podcast, that was an awesome podcast, by the way. Uh, because of that, I've been trying to get Caleb to send me these videos, these how-to all pavers because uh, I thought that was a phenomenal idea and I'm like why have I never thought of that usually this is how it goes they show up and I throw them in a truck and we go to work like I literally have no onboarding process I know that sounds uh, maybe maybe that's normal but I don't do I hate interviewing it's like dude show up with work boots and a lunchbox and jeans and let's go so and if you don't show up then you're not going to work anymore but it, that's how I've done it and that's so like that's I don't know. It's ridiculous. It could be so much better. So I thought when Jordan said that, I'm like, man, that is a phenomenal idea. So I'm, I have a guy that's going to be starting to replace our college kid that's been working and I'm going to have him watch those videos if I ever get them. And, uh, and, uh, that, cause I just thought that was a great idea. I think it's a good way to get someone's feet wet. This kid has never done any kind of hardscape work and that's fine. Um, but you've got to, uh, you know, I think a little bit of education will go a long way. Jeremy, what's your, your onboarding process like for your business when you, when you bring in a new guy? Well, I tried um, the How to Hardscape videos, or uh, Caleb's videos, but one of them, the guy I gave it to, he took it home, and he never brought it back, so. <laughs> video. So that was a really good idea. That's actually how I met Caleb way back in the day. He brought the video to me. Now he has a link. So, and a DVD, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, with the DVD, he brought it over to my shop. Um, that's a good idea. I have no real process and I, I should, but, um, we don't, we just throw them out with under somebody else, you know, like under the foreman or whoever they're going with and they're responsible for showing the ropes. The foreman, they like to teach the guys how to do stuff. So that's helpful, but we probably should have more of a formal process. 
And Caleb, what about yourself? Do you use your uh, your courses as an example? We have. It's it's funny. We don't. I haven't. Uh, the guys when we shot the videos, all my guys were there anyway. So um, you know, if my guys don't know how to do it by now, I think we're in big trouble because they've all been with me for. <laughs> 20, 10, and six years. So, yeah, if we don't have to figure it out by now. We're in big trouble. And there's always room to improve. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it's uh, – Britt has started um, with that new kid we brought on this spring. It's still such a shame he didn't work out because he had so much potential. Um, Britt had a lot more stuff set up with, like, an interview and, and just talking to him and talking about, you know, his experience and background and stuff like that and – and again, putting a lot of it on the guys and using their interpretation of his skill level and, and, uh, or her or whatever, and, uh, letting them make the call so that they're accountable for that decision and they can't blame me for sending them some schlep, you know? So, uh, that's begin, that's become our onboarding process now. So, and there's more like anything can be done with that, of course, but if he were to come on being, he's the newest guy, he would, he, we would have him watch the training courses and stuff like that. So so getting into this, you guys all have guys that have been with you a, a long time. So uh, let's talk about company culture and why they've been with you for so long. Uh, what do you guys do to add value to your employees' lives to make sure that they're sticking around with you? Do you guys have certain things that you live by in your company to make sure that they are as comfortable as possible, that they're not going to jump ship, that you know, you guys found these right guys and they're going to stay. Who wants to start with this one? I'll, I'll go. Um, we, I, I've tried to make, I've tried to make working for us as good for my guys as if they were self-employed themselves, you know, if they work for themselves. So if they need, and like, like a lot of guys, I'm sure Andy and Jeremy are here. Like if they need time off, we're not going to sweat that a whole lot. Like, especially if we can give some heads up, but we're very lenient, probably too lenient Brit things sometimes, but you know, if there's babysitter issues, you like, they, they, whatever reason, you know, we've got kids, so we get it. We try to be reasonably lenient, but they're, they've been with us long enough. I can trust them when they have an issue. New guys are going to, are going to steamroll you. And so the new guys don't get as much leeway. And that's one thing I told the new hire this year when he was late one day, I was like, you haven't earned the privilege to be late yet. You haven't earned the privilege to call off yet. And, um, which is something we try to, to do. I try to, I'm really trying to be big with, you know, the company culture thing. Um, you know, Travis and Keith have been with us for uh, pushing 10 years now. And John came back to work for us after he moved back East from a job he was doing out West for a few years. And uh, we just try to, you know, aside from like paid holidays and paid vacation and all that kind of stuff. Um, you just try to be, I try to be somebody I would want to work for. Right. That's like reasonable and isn't yelling about stuff and flying off the handle about like a, of something that gets smashed up or whatever. Like I want honest, honesty out of my guys more than anything. I want them. If they, if they hit something on the house or smash up a machine, I want them to tell me and not be afraid to tell me, even if it was the stupidest mistake on earth. Like, and I say this all the time, but I knew when I worked by myself, how much stuff I would break or screw up in a week. And I knew for, and that, and I give a, and I care about my stuff right and so i know guys that come into work who, who care but not like you care about your own stuff i know that um you know that's just going to be you know exponentially or you know just multiply out all that damage and so it's like i've just tried to always be reasonable and just complete openness um honesty openness and transparent i think uh marty grunder always says but just just trying to always be open and with your guys just be somebody you'd want to work for and i sure hope that we're that way 
Jeremy, what about yourself? What's what's your company culture like? Do you are you really intentional with it in terms of uh, uh, bringing a guy in there, making him making it feel like home for him? How have you held on to your employees for as long as you have? Um, I think going along the line, Caleb said, you know, making it somewhere where you'd want to work—that's a big deal. So for me, um, I always have work for my guys. They're old, they always have work to do. Um, they're not going to get a call from me at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, like, Hey, there's no work today. So like, even from the beginning, you always have to have work for those guys lined up and have their day planned. And that's, that's tough, but that's a big deal. They always get a paycheck. They don't ever miss a paycheck. Um, so I think just keeping them working every single day and giving them that structure starting at seven o'clock in the morning and they're going to work you know, five days a week till six o'clock at night and be structured and they're going to bring their lunch. It, it helps. It goes a long ways. And then, you know, being organized, having the right equipment, um, making sure that they're not dealing with a bunch of BS and running around the lows because you didn't have your truck properly stocked and things like that. You like as much as you can make sure that they're not dealing with a bunch of garbage. Um, they're going to stick around and keep on working for you. You know, there's also, you know, vacation time and um, paid sick leave, all that kind of stuff when we do all that. But I think the biggest thing for us is just being organized and they always have work. That's how we've kind of, I think, kept guys or were able to get guys in the beginning and they've stuck around. So Andy, yourself, how, what, how have you kept uh, your guys around for so long? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't really think about the company culture that I'm, th this is making me think a lot about it and more than I probably have in the past. But I think since I've started where I used to work, my boss was a really good boss. He never got mad and I wrecked so much stuff over there. And, and it's just, I don't know. He was always super understanding. And I think that really rubbed off of me when I started my own company was I appreciated how much he those kinds of things about him. And I've, I'm not one to get mad about stuff. I don't fly off the handle. Um, and I think like Jeremy said, I, I think a lot of my guys enjoy working here because I treat them like normal people. And if they need a day off, like, like Caleb said that they, these guys, the, my three main guys, they've earned that. I really like what you said, Caleb, about guys that are new. Like you haven't earned that yet. <laughs> Like I, I want to use that line next time that happens, but um, my three main guys, I think the reason they stay around is like the, the, the equipment and setting them up for success every day. And, you know, sometimes when there's an issue, I try and think about, okay, well, is that a problem that I caused or is it something they actually, it was actually their fault? You know, like where, where, you know, I need to look at myself first, like if they broke something or, or they, you know, they took too long on a job then that, well, okay. Did they take too long because I didn't set them up for success for that day or whatever? I think that's super important uh, to give them what they need to do the job. I'm on the job a lot of times, but you know, often like even if a new guy messes up, like, you know, I get a call about they messed up weed whacking or something, you know, that really comes back to me because I don't do enough training. I literally send the guy out there and say, learn how to weed whack, you know, like that sounds ridiculous, but you know, if, if I want them to succeed, I need to be putting in the right amount of effort. And I think that, um, 
I think that the guys, my main three guys, I think that they appreciate, um, like, you know, the paycheck every week. Like I often hear people say like they left the job cause they didn't get paid every week. Like I can't even imagine not paying your guys. Like that sounds so ridiculous, but it happens so often. I think, especially in our industry, it's like, why like that? If I would rather not pay a bill than not pay my guys. Like I can't even wrap my mind around that. And I think that, you know, people really appreciate that and treating them like normal people. Like they're, they're not just units of production. Um, you know, I'm, su I'm a thankful person. I'm always thanking them for what they've done during the day. Or, you know, I, I recognize when they, you know, I was gone one the last hardscape job. I was gone a lot out of town or whatever. And my guys absolutely killed it. So I gave them a bonus for doing such a great job. And I think those little things, you know, remembering that they're out there working for the face of, you know, your company every single day and, and realizing those things and rewarding quality work and, and, and um, you know, guys that, you know, you're proud to have on the job site with you, you know. And what about investing into your guys? Uh, do you guys send them to any ICPI certifications, any uh, say manufacturer road shows when it's the off season, uh, you know, do you guys do any education like that or is it all basically on the job education? It's all on the job for me. I haven't sent my guys to do anything like that yet. I would like to, I just haven't. We'll have, we'll go in the winter time. We'll send guys to, uh, like the Teco and Unilock road shows. Um, yeah. Drainage thing, you know, drainage seminars at Wolf Creek or, you know, whatever. Like I'll send, uh, send Bodo a lighting thing one time. So like we do, we, we do a little bit, not like I'd like to. Um, and, but it's just tough to like commit that it's, it's tough, you know, to, to commit your train, you know, commit time to training. And, and it's one of those things too. It's one of the best things I've ever heard from a professor of mine, Dick Ansley was saying, you know, well, what if I train my people and they leave? Well, worse, what if you don't train them and they stay? And it was, uh, it was one of those things that was like, probably should train your people. So, you know, so it was all, that always stuck with me. And it's like, it's worth investing the time in your people. It just, it just pays dividends. There's, there's a lot of ROI on just training your people. Or We're trying to do a lot more with training just in shop, like having uh, like Monday with the big truck or actually Friday. Ah, uh, shoot, when does that mean? I don't know. We're having a meeting over the big truck. We're going to go over the big truck and talk about the air brakes and how to engage the dump bodies of PTO. And we're going to have a big meeting. We have fire training meetings. We talk about um, Heimlich maneuver. Like, we do all sorts. I'm I'm weird. I just always am thinking of, like, horrible situation training stuff. But we've got uh, combat application tourniquets in the trucks, and we're talking about how do you use these. And I'll just randomly ask, hey, how do we – fire extinguisher there. How do, you how do you work that thing? Where do you spray it on the fire? the base or at the top of the fire, you know? And so I'm always going through this stuff with the guys of like, um, just training, not necessarily like industry related stuff. And maybe that's bad. And that is bad actually. Cause I feel like maybe I'm the old dog and new tricks kind of thing, but uh, I am always, we're always trying to train for stuff as far as like, uh, again, that cross, you know, utility locate, you know, what the signs mean and what, uh, so we're in, yeah, Ohio Utility Protection Service training, stuff like that. We send our guys to that. So um, moving forward with all the, all the 
the, the virus sickness stuff. I don't know what that'll mean for that other than just doing in-person and shop training, but long story short, I try to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And yourself, Jeremy, what's, uh, yeah. What about yourself and your business? Uh, do you invest in that sort of education for your people or mostly on the job training? Yeah. Anytime there's an opportunity, we, we definitely do like the GIE or the Techo block shows try to get my guys down there. Um, sounds like we can't do the GIE this year, unfortunately, but, um, we, we don't do a whole lot of meetings and stuff like Caleb's talking about, which was, which is definitely what we probably should. Um, yeah. One, one thing that I'll do, like, if I see um, – the other day there was a blower sitting behind the tire trucks when they are unloading, and I just took a picture of it and sent to a group chat, like, hey, don't put stuff underneath trucks. Like, this is how it gets run over. So I think that's, like, a good little thing that you can do. And we send, um, send like, each other, like, links and stuff to YouTube videos or um, Instagram posts and stuff, like, little ideas and tricks and stuff. So that's been good, um, but nothing super formal. Caleb, when you have uh, meetings with your employees to go over these certain safety things, have you ever had an outside rep or an outside source come in to talk about these certain things? Or is this basically held within the company? Um, nothing from outside. I would love, we almost did something like that last year with fire safety and basic first aid. Almost did something like that last year, and I forget what the circumstance was that held us up from it. Um, but, uh, everything is kind of like, I'll do some basic research or I've got a buddy that's a paramedic and firefighter. And so like, and I've, I've taken high, you know, uh, CPR courses and stuff like that. So I just try to, you know, distill that down to the guys as simple, but like effectively as possible. And then just randomly ask, like, again, you're like, how do you engage a fire extinguisher? Or like, how do you use that, that tourniquet? and uh and stuff like that and jeremy you mentioned the group text which is we've got a company group text as well which is really beneficial for that stuff buddy of mine has like nine employees they've got a company facebook or an interior internal facebook page facebook closed group and they'll put stuff like that up there and it's really cool i love the concept because they'll also they can then put in videos from other sources of stuff they think is cool for training or safety and it's easier for everybody to watch and view and you can see who's viewed it you know, stuff like that. And so I, th I thought a company internal private uh, Facebook group was a cool idea. So that is a good idea. Throw that out there. It's a great idea. Yeah. Continue on, on with employees. Any other things that you guys want to talk about in terms of the way you deal with your employees? Uh, anything that you've heard of that you're wanting to implement in the near future with your employees? Any other topics uh, about employees in general before we kind of move on to talking about the customer? Uh, we're hiring, so if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> Ohio, I will hire you. <laughs> Please call me. It looks like Caleb's on board for that with his new hat. Yeah, right. I need a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so guys, so guys, talking about the customer, uh, some things that have kind of come up recently uh, with me just asking about what guys want to hear on the show. Uh, a lot of things to do with dealing with a customer and I want to start off by asking you when you're meeting with a customer uh, what are some red flags that you notice with the customer before uh, because I mean for the most of us uh, people that have the reputation built up they you can choose who you work for at this point right with how much work is out there so what are some red flags that you notice with customers that kind of make you think maybe this customer is not going to fit in our business or 
is there even a red flag for you uh, that you're not willing to deal with? If they're in a really big hurry. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or they're an engineer. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, Andy, if they're in a really big hurry, uh, why would that be a red flag for you? Do you um, yeah. Do you want to just kind of... I, I, I mean that in a way like they don't want to take the time to meet with you or like, like not like in a hurry to get the job done. Well, it depends on the job. If it's a hardscape job and they want it done tomorrow, like it's never going to happen. But, um, I don't know. Sometimes I've met with people and I feel like I'm an inconvenience to be there to meet with them. Like if you can't like focus and like I'm here meeting with you and you can't like take enough time to like meet with me, like I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. That always like turns me off really fast. So how do you handle something like that when like that's evident right away? Um, do you do you like continue the meeting? Do you try to get out what you want to get out to them, the information to them, or do you just kind of cut it somewhat short and you already know that it's you're, it's not moving forward? Uh, I I don't know. I I can get along with just about anybody. So like I'll usually will just deal with it, but. I'll keep that in mind when I send them a quote. I usually try and let the quote make the decision, if that makes sense. I, I'm not. I, I'm not the type. I, I have yet to like. Maybe once or twice I've told somebody that like, I just don't think we're a good fit. Um, but usually, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I, I let the quote help them make their decision. Uh, Jerry, what about yourself? Any any red flags with customers when you meet them? Um, you know, if they're asking for red mulch or uh, concrete, <laughs> that's that's a red flag. They ask for free estimates. That's a red flag. Um, there's uh, yeah, there, there's a lot, but you can you can kind of tease most of that out on the phone ahead of time. So you try to get try to tease that whole deal out before you even go out and meet with them. And you can generally, I, I'm trying to think of some right now, but honestly, the people that we've worked with this year have been really awesome. So I haven't had anybody lately that's been the red flag customer. So nothing fresh, no fresh wounds. Um, sometimes yeah, tease it out. you have a really good feeling. Like I can, the one customer I had a nightmare with last year, I, I should have never worked for him. I, I had a feeling about him when I met with him. I just shouldn't have done it. And I went against that and I've learned, I, I learned so much from working for that guy. And, and I just, you have to trust your instincts. And sometimes it's like, I just don't like you. And it's okay to think that, you know, I just, I don't know that, that, that one job that we had last year is the worst experience I've ever had with a customer. And they're thinking back, there was so many things that I just, I should have just never done the job. He just, I, I didn't like it. Can you can you kind of expand on that a little bit, Andy? Like, what was it about that first meeting with them that kind of uh, gave you that gut feeling? Uh, I don't know. First thing that comes to mind is the way he talked to his wife. We walked around the yard, the way he talked to her, and he was the man in charge, and she definitely didn't make any decisions in that household, I can promise you. And that's how the whole project went. He was in charge. And... I, I don't know. I mean, he, uh, 
thinking back, I, I, that must have been why he didn't go with the two or three other people that he went with. Maybe they they saw what I saw, but still thought that I should do the job. You know, I I don't know. They, there a lot of people's body language and how they treat their family and how how they email sometimes is a red flag. Like, I mean, this guy was a, a retired lawyer and and he just the emails and how he recapped thing. It was just, it was all wrong. I, I just should have, I, I don't know. Yeah. Actually I had a customer this year that kind of brought me, cause you talked about that on our episode that I interviewed you that brought me back to that situation. And I knew right away that that was a no based on uh, your experience with that customer, a very similar situation. And uh, Caleb, what about yourself? Any red flags that come up when you're meeting with a customer? You know, it's funny, Andy, talking about going through gut, and, and he's right. And I, I had two clients last year that I I thought, these guys are going to be a pain, and we probably are going to regret doing this job. And the odd thing was, I was wrong. And this is what I can't figure. Yeah, this is – I believe me, I'm still talking about it because I don't understand. I had this feeling of, like, this guy's going to be a pain, a thorn in our side, this whole project. And it ended up being one of our best pro- – like, prettiest projects that year. And everything was fine. And I just, it was one of those things I was like really questioning myself. Cause like I had and another client, same deal. I'm like, man, I don't know about this, but I got, they were fine. So, but in general, like um, everything Andy says is true. The stuff to pre-qualify that Jeremy was saying is like, anybody asks for like ridiculous products or do you give free quotes? That's like the kiss of death to me right there. Like I can't get off the phone quick enough. If you're asking for a free, if you give free quotes or we want we want to have you out to give you, you know, for you to give us ideas. That right there, like, oh, that's the worst. Dude, that, <laughs> that just makes me want to vomit as soon as I hear it. And so, just want to pick your brain. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, you know, you know, getting that, calling that out in the phone calls initially, right, is important. But, um, you know, just how someone, so you know, just body language, like Andy was saying. Just, I, I've gotten where I think I, I have. Develop, I did a job for a client 10 years ago that we had to sue to get paid out of the last draw of it. And it was misery. It was awful. Worst experience in my life. Thank God I had no kids. Thank God Britt and I were just one of our first big jobs together. And it went horrible. And the job actually was cool. But getting paid was a nightmare. There was a verbal misunderstanding on a change order. And it went to hell from there. And it is it is the most, like, I could see it in Andy's facial expressions like how much of a pain that was for him last year and I still think about that job 10 years ago and how we had to go to court and then ended up in mediation to finally settle out of it and we got paid a fraction of what we were due but we at least got paid something and uh the pain from those lessons has probably saved me so much money going forward and thank god I didn't have kids to deal you know to go through it because I mean that was that's when Britt and I had no money I mean no freaking money and we we're going to take it on the shorts on that job anyhow. And then you throw in a lawsuit into it and not get paid. The rest of it was just rough. And just I, the best lessons for me have always been the most expensive or the most painful ones. And that was one of them. So going with your gut, like if a client just, you just don't get a good vibe or they're just, the another one would be too, is like, well, we've had a, a few people out or we fired our last contractor. That right there is a big one too. Like, well, tell, please, please explain that. Or, you know, could you elaborate on that? And that's a big red flag to me too. So, um, you know, just trying to, just trying to figure those things out, but 
the, the body language and just how they conduct themselves is a big, big, uh, big thing to me. So in person. So Andy, you talked about how uh, you kind of let your quote speak for, you know, making their decision. Uh, is that the only way that you tell your customer or tell a red flag customer no? Or, or uh, how do you guys tell a customer no? Are you willing to tell a customer no uh, if you've already met with them? Uh, if you think they are going to be a pain or if you think it's not the right job for your company, how do you guys go about telling a customer? No, Jeremy, do you want to start this one off? Um, probably on that first phone call, you can, you can, uh, if they're asking you to do things that you don't want to do, like I don't want to build a structure onto your house. I don't want to build a deck. I don't want, there's certain things I just don't want to do. I don't, I want to do our certain jobs. And so if they're asking you to do those things, just tell them that you don't do it. And that's, that's how I do it. Or, you know, I don't do stamp concrete. I don't do um, composite decks. I don't do struct like that kind of stuff. I just don't do it. So you, I think part of it is you seem to know what you do and what you don't do before you take that phone call. And that's important. Um, right now it's been such a, like a feeding frenzy this year because of this whole virus thing and people are just, our phones ringing off the hook. So you have to prioritize who you're working with. Uh, and if you don't prioritize, you're just going to run around and you're not going to get anything done if you're meeting with all these people. So right now we're not even giving estimates. We're just, we're taking their name, we're putting them on a uh, waiting list. So if people are willing to wait for us, they're going to get the job done sometime in 2021. And we're going to meet with them sometime in October and get the ball rolling with the estimate and the design. If they're willing to wait for that, then that's, that's a pretty good sign. Um, so if, if you're in that position right now where you are running around doing estimates nonstop and you're swamped with work, it might be a good idea just to put a pause on your estimates and just focus on getting your production done. And then, you know, this stuff is still going to be there, um, next year. So that's a, that's a good way to, um, I don't think that's really your question, but, um, that's a good way to kind of soften the blow of what's going on right now. As far as telling them no, I mean, just if you know what you do and what you don't do, and if it's not something you're interested in, you know, if it's outside of your, I, I told someone this today, they wanted us to go somewhere that was about 40 minutes away. And it, and it sucks because it was a referral from someone who was up there before, um, who we did work for a few years ago. And back then we would go that far. Um, but I had to tell them, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not interested. I gave him a referral. I wasn't rude about it or anything, but I just, I, he asked me several times, are you sure you're not interested? And I said, no. I, I can't go that far anymore. We used to do that, but we don't do it anymore. So if you know your, your radius and you know what, what services you offer, then you're in a good position to tell someone no. It's very hard to say no. I, I struggle with it. I just really do. I, I need to say no more than I do, especially like going to meet with people. And the hardest one is the referral, especially if it's like a referral from like a really good client. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to meet with you and you're just going to have to sometimes like I go to meetings knowing that it's probably not the right job, but I don't know. I, it, if it came from, you know, the 10 people that no matter who, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes you got to do stuff, but um, I need to get better at saying no. And, and I, I did what Jeremy did at least the last month. I, I didn't, I haven't met with anybody for at least three or four weeks now. And I'm not going to until probably September because I just, I have a, a list of 15 people I haven't gotten quotes to in a month, you know, and that's just, it's my biggest downfall. 
is how long it takes me to get people quotes. Cause I'm on the phone. I'm on the job every day, but you know, I, uh, it, it's the same thing he said. There's so many calls coming in. You have to know what you want to do and communicate that with people. It's just, I think giving them the right expectation I have learned for myself is super key. Like, Hey, I'm meeting with you now, but I'm not going to give you a quote for a month. And just say it because I know, and my, I know that's how long it's going to take. Me. But we, we overcommit ourselves. And, you know, I think Dave Ramsey said, you know, under, under promise and over deliver. And, and I think that that is something that is really key when you're meeting with people. Again, I don't think we're answering your question really, but. That's that's totally fine, Caleb. What about yourself? How do you say no to a customer? Um, I've gotten a lot better about it than I used to be. I used to be work everywhere and do everything, or at least price everything. And we've gotten a lot better about drilling down a little bit. We still we're we still got too many things going too many directions, but we're getting better about it. But I've gotten a lot better about just saying no, or if a client asks if we do a certain service. Um, again, just, just being tactful and I'll try to, you know, get them a referral to someone I know that provides that service. Or if they ask us if we can do a certain thing on a job and it's not something we like, like let's say red mulch or, uh, like a retaining wall entirely around all their beds, all the way around the house, you know, that's a foot tall the whole way. I try to at least educate them according to the world design world, according to the world of Caleb, you know, of like, that gets pretty busy looking, you know, and it's a lot of hard material everywhere. So if we're going to do that. We prefer to do accent walls here and there and stuff like that. So if, if no is not necessarily the right answer, we try to guide, I guess, you know, in, into what is the right answer. And then if they still want to do that, we say, again, the, the best answer is, I don't think this job's a good fit for us, but here's someone it might be. And so just always trying to not burn a bridge and be tactful. And, and like these guys were saying, uh, is, is the biggest and best way. And, and, uh, I try to say no with a referral, I guess, ultimately. And I got asked today if we do vinyl fencing. It's like my guy, John can, he's super skilled and everything. And like, unless we're dead out of work in December, no, we don't do it. And I hope it doesn't get that bad where we're putting a vinyl fence in December. So, um, you know, so we just refer on to somebody we know does fencing and, and that deal. And I need, I need to get on board with what you guys are doing with pushing uh, estimates and stuff out and meetings out for a while. Cause same deal. I'm, buried in quotes and this is my job with the company aside from running our education in and our social media and like I'm just about I finally got a huge chunk of stuff off the board right there and it was like 25 quotes for stuff and the big thing I'm struggling with right now is project size of stuff it's like the little day jobs that you still got to have 3,000 bucks on to make it worth being there but the job's not worth it but I'm still pricing this stuff anyways. And then trying, I, I got to draw the line. I really, what I've got to learn to say no is to, and I've written, I've talked about this a lot is like saying no to small jobs. I've got to start saying no to small jobs. They take as much time in logistics. And these guys know this, the little $3,000 project takes darn near as much time in logistics and mental strength and meetings and all that crap to do as a $30,000 project does. Like it's absurd how much time the little projects take. So we're trying to call out, the little stuff, but it's tough again to say no again from a, and generally like Andy was saying, if it's a really like our top, you know, five clients or something like that, that have no questions asked the pricing, go do it kind of clients. I'll just to humor them on a referral. I'll go meet with about anybody at that point. Just, 
again, to, to pay it forward for them, if nothing else, and uh, and whatever. So saying no, saying no can be really tough, but it's something you've got to got to develop. So I've had you guys on for quite some time now, and uh, I appreciate your time, especially with all you guys having families. So, uh, I mean, we could go on for a long, long time here. So I'll kind of bring this to a close as uh, <laughs> as uh, I ask you this. <laughs> In terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of the value that your company brings to a customer, how do you get that across to your customer that they should go with you and not somebody else? What is that value that you guys think your your business brings, or that you're able to uh, explain to the customer when you first meet them that really helps you close those deals, those those jobs? You know, what, what's that value that your company ultimately offers? Um, I guess I would say for us, it's kind of long and like along the lines of, of uh, Andy, you know, your reputation precedes you a lot of times. And so people know that like just by showing up on time in a decent vehicle and, you know, your work history behind you, like that does a lot of the selling, you know, for the most part, like, you hopefully shouldn't have to sell yourself too hard ultimately. Like a lot of your referral and reputation should, should precede you, I, I think. And so if you really got to sell yourself and push the fact that you're honest and quality work and all that stuff, no, there's still, you know, you still need to convey that to your client that, um, you know, maybe in subtle ways that, you know, you are an honest, diligent, you know, res- responsible contractor. Um, but fortunately for the most part for us, we don't have to push that too hard or at all really anymore. And, um, but, but just trying to be, I think the biggest thing with us is just trying to be responsive and we answer the phone, we return phone calls, even if we don't want the job or we're too busy or it's not the right fit or it's something completely off topic. Um, we just try to be that, you know, the, the, the company that people can go to for a solution or for somebody that has a solution. So, um, that's kind of the, I think the value add for us is always just, we tout our experience and tout our, our uh, desire in the industry for the industry and for, you know, high, high standards. And, and then we try to back that up with, with punctual response, I guess. So do what we try to, we try our darndest to do what we said we were going to do. Jeremy, what's that value add that, that customers should go with J squared outdoor that you see customers coming to you for what's that kind of uh, area in the market where you believe your company fits in? Um, I think a lot of, a lot of people that call us have already, if not made the decision, have, are really wanting to get our input and our ideas before they've even thought about calling us. So, you know, they've researching your website, your Instagram, your Facebook, like, and they, they might've been following you. They might've accidentally followed you three years ago and just been watching you for years and that happens. And, you know, they're, they're paying attention. So by the time that they actually call you, you know, the job might already be yours to lose. So at that point, you just, you know, do what you got to do and do the design and um, do, you know, do a good design and do a good proposal that's well thought out. That's pretty much all you have to do at that point. So what you have to do is kind of do all that back end work and set up your Instagram and your Facebook and your website and everything in order to generate people that are already in line with your brand. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is they, they understand our brand. They understand the value of our design and our craftsmanship. 
Awesome. And Andy, same question to yourself. Uh, what's that value add that uh, your company has and where do you fit in in the market, do you feel? I think it's something that I've been struggling with for the last year or two is how do I, I'm terrible at selling myself. I'm a terrible sell salesman. I really am. It's like, here's the design and this is the quote and it's going to be awesome. Like, I'm just really bad. I'm just really bad about it. I'm not good about picking out what we're good at, but the more that the longer, literally in the last two year and a half or so, I've really started to notice that guys like, these guys down here and, and me, like we're, it's not like that everywhere and they're not doing a good job and they're not returning phone calls and they're not showing up when they're going to, when they say they're going to show up. And I think there's, it's, it's simple things for, I think maybe us and, you know, uh, good contractors. Those are maybe simple things, but probably it's a bigger deal than what we think it is. The other day I went and met with the job that we're working on now. I met, went and met with them for the first time and I was going to be three minutes late. Like I literally hate being late. I am never late. And I, I, my GPS, said I was going to be three minutes late. So I texted them and said, I'm going to be three minutes late. And that was a huge deal. Like she was, she's like, Oh, you didn't have to text. Like, I can't believe you told us you were going to be late. Like, like that was a big deal for them. And you know, those little things are what separate you from the guy that's flying by night. And, and it just sounds ridiculous to me because that's just how I work. But those kinds of things are just a big deal, you know? And, you know, I think the Instagram thing and, and social media is a way bigger deal than what, I mean, I know it's a big deal, but I, I don't think it's as big of a deal as other people, like contractors think of it. Like I think people used to make fun of me in our area for how much I storied and how much I put on Instagram, so on and so forth. Well, the customer that we're working for now had three of her neighbors over here and she was telling them to follow me on Instagram today. I literally heard her telling them to follow me on Instagram that, Oh, you know, he puts up what he's doing all day and it's so great to watch and so on and so forth. And like that's selling the next job right there. And all it is is me showing what I do every day. And it's not a game for me anymore. It's it's literally part of my job is doing that every day and posting every day. You know, and so I, I, I wrote a post about that one time. Like if, if a homeowner is looking for a contractor, like find someone that's going to do what I'm doing every day, showing what we do every day. I got nothing to hide. You can critique my job from the beginning to the end. If you have a question about it, come ask me. You know, like I'm literally... I'm not trying to hide something, you know, so all those things together, you know, that's why I'm the best contractor, you know, and, and <laughs> but it's, it's so hard to explain that. I, I'm terrible at it. I really am. I, I just. Guys, I think uh, that's a great way to end this conversation. It was great to have each and every one of you. I'm just going to throw the ball into your court and let you guys kind of finish it with a closing remark. Uh, let our audience know where they can find you online because I know all of you you three are active on Instagram, active online. So, uh, Andy, let, let's start it off with you. Closing remark, anything you want to go over one more time or, you know, just let our audience know where they can find you. Uh, I don't know. I want to say thanks. Uh, thanks to these two guys uh, and thanks to you. I, It's crazy to think, you know, all this whole thing 
would not be happening without social media. And I, I'm really thankful for it. I spend a lot of time on it, but the root, I am seeing the fruits of your labor, so to speak, uh, and being able to do things like this and being able to, I, my business would not be where it's at today without these two guys right here. And that's true. It just is. I, I, I would have gone a way different way. I wouldn't have the things I have that make the money that we make. And, you know, I just think there's a, I'm thankful for, for everybody and uh, for this opportunity. And um, you can find us on uh, Instagram at, at MMSNWI. And uh, yeah, get it right, Caleb. And uh, our website is MMSNWI.com. So, awesome. Yeah. Jer- Jeremy, closing comments and where can we find you? Um, it, you know, it's funny that Andy said, like, that's it's crazy that my business wouldn't be what it is without these two guys too. It's, and I'm extremely grateful for that. It's, it's wild. Um, I guess uh, here, my closing remark is a quote by Andy Mulder. I don't do this for the exercise. <laughs> for real, I stay too short. Uh, and if you play that in your head, every time you're writing a quote, you'll, you'll make more money. So <laughs> you can find me I'm at J squared outdoor on Instagram. Awesome. And uh, Caleb, close, close us out here. Uh, and I'll, I'll follow up everybody there. Thanks for um, orchestrating this and having us on. I appreciate it. And uh, it's, it's cool to get to be a, a part with these guys. Uh, so thank you for that. And same deal. Like I, I look to what these guys are doing constantly, if not all the time to see what um, tips and tricks and things they're doing that I should be doing. And uh, a huge, leap forward in the past couple of years because these guys with our company and um you know the whole you know mentality of mechanization over labor so uh, the social media thing is just crazy and the network and community it's built which is really cool so thank you for uh what you guys share on there which is super cool and uh and the thing i always share i think as um and like these guys tell too like with any business like guys starting up and you want to get to like these guys level and stuff just know your numbers pay attention to your books and, uh, do, you know, do the, do the best job you possibly can do. And, uh, you know, just, just have a, a drive and a passion for the business and it'll, it'll take its, uh, it'll roll forward from there for you. So thanks again, everybody. Amazing guys. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, just bear with me as I close this out. Just want to say thank you to everyone listening in and tuning in every week on the podcast. Uh, leave us a, a review, subscribe to us wherever you can. Uh, this will be on our YouTube channel, so you can also watch this and see the faces of the people that are actually talking and be able to follow the conversation a little bit better. That's why we did video here. And uh, thanks once again for everybody listening in. Uh, see you next week.